The Jericho Network on Westwood One. The following program is presented by the Jericho Network in association with Podcast One. Podcast One presents Rock Talk, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. All the rockers, all the stories. This is incredible. Now, now, here's your host, respected rock journalist, Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to Rock Talk, and I am your host, David Coverdale. Well, okay, maybe I'm not. Uh, I'm Mitch LaFon, but how cool would it be if I actually was a David Coverdale? And uh, one of the reasons I mentioned David is because our first guest on today's episode is Michael Schenker. He, of course, has the Michael Schenker Fest touring Europe and North America, North America in March of 2018. And uh, there will be a date in Montreal and all cities around uh, North America, and I will be there. But during our interview, he talks about the Michael Schenker group and auditioning, or maybe not auditioning, but trying to work with David Coverdale, putting together the song uh, Dancer from the Assault Attack album, and just some, reveals some, some great stuff about uh, working with David and, and Ozzy Osbourne and Aerosmith and stuff. So uh, do check that out. That will be the uh, first interview. On the uh, second part, I have got Max Cavalera and... You know, as far as I can remember, I've never interviewed Max before, and perhaps I'm wrong. I mean, I've been doing this 20 years, but but he was so, so nice. I mean, just, just, just a great conversation, and um, really sort of warmed me up to the band. I, you know, I've been to, to Soulfly shows and, and stuff, and, and even um, different versions of Sepultura, and, and I've enjoyed the music, but I, I've not, not been this massive diehard fan that has to be a completist and have everything, and... And after speaking to Max, I think uh, I must start collecting the Soulfly stuff. He was just so, so nice. So second interview today is Max Cavalera. He, of course, is talking about the new Cavalera conspiracy album, Psychosis, and the fact that Soulfly was touring, uh, performing uh, Nail Bomb's entire Point Blank album, which, um, which is interesting, quite, quite interesting. And then we will finish today with a quick interview with Candace Knight, of course, of Blackmore's Knight. Uh, some, of course, may know her as Richie Blackmore's wife. And uh, they have re-released Winter Carols, which came out a few years ago, but now it's back with uh, bonus tracks and all that. And we also talk about, is Richie Blackmore and Rainbow uh, thinking of making a new album? And uh, you know what? Got some details for you, some, some great stuff. But um, there you go. Before we get to all that, just a quick rock talk section here. Halloween, uh, the band, the heavy metal band, Halloween, recently uh, started their Pumpkins United tour. And uh, after a, a few shows, fans went online and on YouTube and said, hey, wait a minute here. The, the lips and the vocals aren't matching up. Are, are we lip syncing? And, uh, you know, God forbid... And um, Kay Hansen, the singer, admitted that the band is using taped vocals for certain parts of the show. So, you know, on my personal Facebook, not the Rock Talk Facebook, not anything, the Facebook.com Mitch LaFon, I spend some time posting articles or rock news and on this day stuff. And, and so I posted this article that, that uh, Blabbermouth actually ran with where Kay admits to using these taped vocals. 
And, you know, what I do is I, I post this stuff and then I walk away. You know, I, you know, go do what I have to do in life, walk the dog, do another interview, take care of business, uh, go to the grocery store and whatever. And I come back and I, and I look at the comments and I saw the comments and I saw that there was a lot of them waiting for this. And I was like, uh-oh, here we go. It's going to be a complete sludge fest of how dare they, they're awful, the hell with them, backing vocals, go away. And it wasn't that. And I was surprised. Uh, a lot of the comments were, well, I'd rather see a show with a, little, with a few enhancements than not see a show at all. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's an interesting perspective. And then I, uh, there was a few that said, hey, uh, I spent a bunch of money to uh, go down to, I believe it was Mexico, to go down to Mexico and yada, yada, yada. And I would rather see the show with tape vocals than no show at all. You know, think of the fans that travel. And so the comments, rather than being overwhelmingly negative, in fact, I didn't really see any negative comments, were overwhelmingly positive. So I pose this question to you, uh, dear listener, uh, or as we say in French, cher écouteur. Are you for or against taped vocals in shows? Now, the honest-to-God truth is I've been backstage and I've been to soundcheck for, you know, many bands, most of the big 80s bands, and there is enhancements. It is a way of, way of doing things these days. There, there are taped vocals. Generally, it's not taped lead vocals. Generally, it's the background vocals. You know, when you look at some of the, the big 80s hits, one of the things that a lot of them shared in common was these big gang vocal choruses, yada, yada, yada. And and so a lot of bands will have either a drummer trigger a uh, a preset and the big vocals will come up, or the keyboardist will trigger something. And um, and, and you know what? I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, if, if you're doing an entire show lip sync, you know, from from the first note to the last note, and and I've just spent a hundred bucks to see ninety minutes of miming. Eh. All right, I got I got issues with that, but and I just used the the song as an example. I'm not accusing um, uh, this band of anything, but for example, you take a, a song like uh, "Living on a Prayer" by Bon Jovi, and again, I'm I'm not uh, saying that Bon Jovi does this, but you know, when you get to that part, they go, "Whoa, whoa, living on a," pr-. well, you know what? If if David Bryan or some hits a little keyboard and and that chorus comes out as three times as big and as large during the show just to make it more impactful. Okay, what's wrong with that? I, I, I'm okay with that. You know, if, if, if the lead singer spends, like I said, the entire show just going, you know, blah, 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 and then and you hear all these, okay, that's, that's a different story. But So, so uh, to cut this short here, go to the Facebook, either my personal one, uh, Mitch, you know, Facebook.MitchLafon, or, or Twitter, at MitchLafon, or on the uh, Rock Talk uh, with MitchLafon Facebook, and just, you know, talk to me about whether or not you think that using taped vocals in any form is right or wrong. And and so, is using a few tape vocals for, like, backing vocals to have a, a more impactful chorus okay or not okay? Is lip-syncing the entire show okay or not okay? And is just using tapes as vocal enhancements or as enhancements to make it a more perfect show Okay, I mean, my personal preference 
being more old school is is you know you go see a band like Aerosmith in the seventies and it was just filled with mistakes, but the mistakes were the charm. The mistakes were what made that show great. The fact that it was dirty and and gritty and and not perfect is what made it perfect. Um, so you tell me, wh- where do you lie on this uh, taped vocal? And I don't want to call it a controversy. It's not really a controversy, but where are you with these taped vocals? Because it's it's interesting, you know. It's really interesting to me. Um, anyway, so there you go. Um, let us move on to our first interview of the day. It is a Michael Schenker, and of course, Michael Schenker Fest is coming to a town near you. Uh, we have got dates in North America, which uh, start on March 6, 2018, at the Fillmore in Springfield. Maryland, and then uh, they move over to Boston, New York, and all that. And there are dates uh, right now in Europe. Head over to MichaelSchenkerHimself.com for all details. And the other thing that's really interesting is they have now created a band out of this. There is a band now called the Michael Schenker Fest Band. Or, you know, well, it's not called band, but it's the Michael Schenker Fest. And they will be releasing a new album, not with one, not with two, not with three, but with four vocalists. So you get Gary Barden, Graham Bonnet, Robin McCauley, and Doogie White will all be on the album doing individual songs, but also doing songs where they're all on the song together, you know, three, four vocalists all together on a song. Anyway, uh, during the interview, Michael reveals the uh, name of the first single. He reveals the name of the album. So do listen for that. And, uh, you know, if you like what, uh, what you're hearing here, please uh, take to social media and share the link to the uh, podcast and, and, you know, let people know that, that I'm here so that uh, more people will listen. The more people listen, the happier I am. And uh, that sounds like a good thing to me, quite frankly. Anyway, so, so check that out. And uh, if you want, by the way, the uh, official website, you head over to www.podcast1.com forward slash rock dash talk dash with dash Mitch dash Lafon. So uh, podcast one rock talk with Mitch Lafon, check that out. And uh, let's get right into checking out the one, the only guitarist extraordinaire. Mm, that is right. Michael Shanker. We are speaking with guitarist Michael Schenker. The Michael Schenker Fest is about to begin their UK tour and, of course, later in 2018, the North American tour. Michael, a great, great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. So let's talk about this this Michael Schenker Fest. Of course, the UK tour starts November 2nd at the uh, Shepherd Bush Empire, but... Um, Talk to me about this concept of having three singers from your past join you on stage, and and what can fans expect to see? Yeah, it's like um, I got offered um, like a couple of years ago when I was with uh, Temple of Rock with Herman Francis and and uh, Doogie. um, We had offered a Japan tour with Graham Bonnet opening, and and sing a couple of songs with us. And that's when it all kind of began for me to to realize, wow, wait a minute, you know, it's time for me to actually do my most popular music with original singers. All these years, I've used other singers singing Gary Barton and so on. And I kind of 
felt that uh, that was something that needed to be done next. And so I we did this thing with Graham, and uh, and uh, of course I went like, well, how can I sing my have a original singer because I've got a few original singers. And so that's when I realized I would have to have quite a few singers to perform. Of course, Klaus and, and, and Phil, that was something that was, uh, you know, I didn't really look at that. I kind of thought probably doable would be the MSG period with, uh, Graham Bonnet, Gary Barton and, uh, uh, Robin McCauley. Right. So, and as usual, if something's meant to be, it doesn't seem to be very difficult to put it together. So, uh, we called them up. They were very happy to do it. I had to think of a rhythm section and the musicians and Chris uh, Glenn and Ted McKenna came to mind immediately since they were the the, uh, the original rhythm section after Cozy Powell of MSG and then also the uh, um, rhythm section of Assault Attack with Graham Bonnet. And then uh, somehow, and very, very fortunately, I thought of Steve Mann, who used to be connected with Macaulay Schenker. And uh, he's a great guitarist, great keyboard player. And he's actually a producer engineer as well. And so I had a, I had a team together. And, and when I... When we first got together and when I saw how they were getting on, that was unbelievable. I mean, I've never seen <laughs> any anything like that in my life, you know, where people naturally kind of are just there, happy and, you know, doing funny stuff. I mean, when we did the recording for the new CD, which um, is going to be released in, in uh, um, March, or late February or beginning of March, where with an additional singer with Doogie White, actually the UK is going to be the last, the first time we're doing um, this particular lineup with three singers. But uh, when we start in America, it's going to be a two and a half hour show with an additional singer, Doogie White, which makes it possible now to include uh, my current development, which was Temple of Rock, Michael Schenker's Temple of Rock. So now Doogie can sing all original songs. We have a few classics by now uh, come out of that. Uh, we, we toured together for four years and we did two CDs and uh, two DVDs. So now we have the, uh, you know, we can perform the most popular music of Michael Schenker, past and current and new songs of the new CD. We have, we're actually mastering the, new CD as we speak. The original idea was um, after the DVD we did, uh, what's next, you know? And I just said to myself out of, as a joke, like, oh, Michael Schenker Fest in the studio. <laughs> and so that became our working title for a while. But now it's Resurrection. And uh, so that's with four singers. And it's not like three singers, each one sings three songs. We actually ended up um, having you know, all singers together on a few songs, which is really, really unique and interesting. It's really entertaining because you hear these different types of voices coming in to the same song, singing basically, you know, Gary maybe sings the bridge, Robin sings a verse and and um, and um, Graham sings a chorus or whatever. We did this on about three songs or so. Then I have, uh, and, and then we did like, 
we have got one song called Warrior that was probably going to be the promo, um, the pre, um, you know, to 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 hype the album as the first um, song that may be released with the with behind the scene footage and stuff like that. And that it's, it, it was so funny when when they all had to sing their lines and we were shooting, you know, uh, behind the scene footage. Um, to see them, like how they get on. Yeah, I can actually see it on the DVD already, but uh, it just continues to be uh, just, you know, as if these people have been together forever. And uh, and this song is really, really good and really powerful. And and the vocalists come across really well and, and, and it's a great song. And so that's probably be available when I start my promo tour here in the, in, uh, actually in 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 Europe um, for two weeks flying around to to the main cities in in Europe and doing face to face interviews and that probably will be the beginning of a pre promo release of that particular song to promote the album and uh, and that's when you know and with with that album we start our tour in in America which is the next you know two and a half hour show. And uh, that will be the beginning of a new world tour. It's, uh, it's an, you know, what we're doing in the UK is something we started, uh, Sweden Rock, you know, Bang Your Head Festival, and a few festivals we did it. And then, of course, just now we headlined Loud Park and, um, and Osaka, and, uh, which was fantastic. And now we're going to Offenbach on the 25th and um, a few gigs in, in Spain. And then the UK, and then this particular lineup and DVD that was released um, has come to an end. And we actually do that only once. We never did that in, 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 in the UK. So it will be the first time <laughs> and the last time. But, of course, um, it, we go into the next gear, and uh, it's um, the release of the CD, and uh, four singers and singing current and past and then doing it all over again, going back to Japan, to Europe, etc., etc. So basically, it's the continuation with, uh, with additional um, surprises or with additional performances. Yeah, and and it's great because you you answered a lot of the questions I was going to ask. But um, and by the way, I will be seeing you on March twelfth in Montreal, and I'm so looking forward to that. But oh, great! It's going to be fantastic. Um, and and you're in a great yeah. venue. It's it's a great great venue. You're going to love it. But, great, thank you. Um, I do want to ask you a little bit more about the CD because if you go to your website, it's called Michael Schenker Fest will release. Is that the name of the band that you're going to go with, or are you just going to call it the Michael Schenker Group, or just Michael Schenker? Sort of how do we... No, it's basically, it's celebration time. It just happens to be the three singers of MSG period, the 80s. But it's the Michael Schenker Fest. I'm celebrating, um, you know, my music career and life itself. And it seems like everybody is celebrating their lives and their career at the same time. But it's all the most popular music of Michael Schenker. And uh, the best I can do at the moment is to have Gary and uh, Graham and uh, um, Gary Graham and Robin and now additional um, Doogie White, which is the current thing I did with Michael Schenker Temple of Rock. And we call it the Michael Schenker Fest. So it's the Michael, it's Michael Schenker Fest and the CD title is Resurrection. Is, 
is this a collection of new songs, or are these songs that you're revisiting? All or brand, brand new songs okay. and really unique. It's fantastic. Okay, now now let me talk to you about the singers in particular, because you've had these different singers at different parts, and uh, I do want to also talk about Doogie, because I actually bought all the Temple of Rock stuff. I, it, it's fantastic, and you have, of course, Herman and Francis on there. Great, great stuff, but... Um, Talk to me about, uh, not, not Graham, uh, Gary Barden first. What did Gary bring to your band in the early 80s, and, and what is sort of unique about his voice? Okay. Um, basically, when I left uh, the Scorpions with Love Drive and opened the doors for America for them, I was basically at the peak. I had experienced everything. I was voted number five guitarist, I think, in the States at the time, number one guitarist in uh, nine different countries in, 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 in Europe and Japan, and, you know, basically I was given a chance, which I'm very grateful for, to see what it is like to be on top, you know, to have success, fame, and all the stuff that goes on up there, and I actually did not need it, you know, um, after I finished the Love Drive album, I, 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 had to, I had to refuse because I, I was only there to help them out. And then they wanted to keep me. And I had a really hard time to get away from that because I I just finished that whole thing that they were still chasing um, with UFO. And, and with the Scorpions, I would have been going through the same thing again. I, I had enough of it. I didn't need it. I wanted to do something small. You know, I wanted to experiment with music, no pressure, do what I wanted to do, self-express and not, you know, um, chasing a bunch of chasing stuff uh, with a bunch of people that, that I was not interested in. So I had my, you know, that was the step first, the first step of my life. That was, um, that was that part where I made my musical contribution to the world. And now I wanted to leave this, that, 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 um, whatever some people, my brother Rudolf calls it the rat race for whatever reason. I, I just didn't want to be chasing something that was not, in my interest. So I was more interested in doing experimenting with music and learn more about life and be free and, and, you know, uh, pressure free, you know, basically, and doing what I wanted. Um, acoustic instrumentals, electric instrumentals. I did just solos playing just solos with Ainsley Dunbar and Tim Borgard, uh, on cover, cover songs. And I, I had so much fun. And, uh, Getting it all out of my system, which I couldn't have done with Ozzy Osbourne, Aerosmith, or uh, the Purple, Whitesnake, all these bands that asked me to join them. I I had to remind myself, I quit UFO, I didn't join Scorpion, so there's no need to go with anybody else. And the Purple, and they all, at some point, so many bands asked me to join. And uh, so basically, I was looking for... An unknown singer, I found this tape and a really bluesy and very much feeling and melodic singer he was, but unknown. And that was important to me because only like that was I able to do something relaxing. Um, you know, the funny thing was when I wanted to do something small, Peter Mensch was already waiting with open arms <laughs> looking for big business with me you know he sent me straight to Aerosmith and I went like what am I doing here I must be crazy 
I just left UFO. I just refused Scorpions to join my own brother's band. And now I'm here in New York, uh, you know, having a look what it is like if I'm the right chemistry for Aerosmith. And, uh, you know, it, it was really a crazy year. And uh, the original idea with Peter Mensch was he was just, you know, he was doing ACDC at the time. And he wanted me to be produced by Matt Langer, and I refused. And uh, because it was like all the same thing, with the exception of one thing, I made one step in the right direction, which was creating my own band. So that gave me a certain amount of freedom, but not totally the one I wanted. That started in 1990 when I moved to Arizona. That's when I was completely free. I, do, I did Scorpions, I did UFO, I did Michael Schenker Group, I did everything. I mean, I did... In those 15 years, I did. Well, I, I built myself a recording studio. I had my own record, you know, label and stuff like that. So I was completely free. But the 10 years with MSG, that was just meant. That was meant to be originally nothing big. Period. You know, I, I didn't want anything big. I, I just wanted something comfortable, and uh, that's what I thought. I had, but of course, I looking back now, you know, I can see clearly what Peter Mensch was up to. You know, he got me the best musicians, and uh, he wanted me. I mean, before it even became, to, uh, be, before I even, um, before it became MSG, I was doing. I, it was suggested by Cliff Bernstein and, and Mike and Peter Mensch to do a, a, a super band with Ainsley Dunbar and Sammy Hager. And then the next thing I saw myself with Billy Sheehan and Danny Kamasi from Montrose and Gary Barden. And, you know, that that was uh, lasted for four weeks and I was not in a very good place at that time. And then like a couple of months later, actually Getty Lee and uh, um, Getty Lee and Neil Part, they wanted to help me out with the solo album too. They offered. And uh, so basically... Oh, and then I went to. I actually rehearsed with the rhythm section of, of of Aerosmith. They were going to do my first solo album, believe it or not. I went to Peter, you know, flew me over to 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 Boston, and uh, I was rehearsing there with uh, 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 Tony, uh, Joey Kramer, and 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 Tom Hamilton. And then the other guitarist walked in, and he must have he must have had a shock seeing me playing with those two guys. I think he quickly made his way to the to the hospital where Steve Tyler was. And said, "Hey, hey, you have to get well. Michael is stealing our rhythm section." That's funny. <laughs> it was, yeah, it is. And so, and of course, Stephen Tyler got 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 well again, and they carried on with Aerosmith. And then I ended up with Simon Phillips and Mo Foster, who were the rhythm section um, with Jeff Beck at the time. And then I, it was time to start touring, and then um, we found um, um, Cozy Powell and Chris Glenn, and, Tom, and then also um, um, Paul Raymond from UFO. He was available, and so we had a great band together. And we started our first. Well, we we actually started recording our uh, the, uh, the second MSG album, and at the same time. We were recording a, a live album in Budokan, uh, the Budokan live album, while Ron Neverson was mixing the MSG album, the, the the second MSG album. So it was kind of really strange how everything was going, you know, quick, 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 and stuff like that. And uh, and then and then Peter Mensch wanted me to to change singers, you know, and he wanted me 
to team up with David Coverdale, which I actually jammed with him at Peter's. I used to live for you two years in Peter Mensch's house. And uh, one of the songs that I ended up with Graham Bonnet was Dancer. That was actually, I already had the music when I was one morning jamming with David Coverdale uh, um, in Peter's lounge. And uh, and so anyway, I, I, I said, why don't you ask Coverdale to join MSG? Because Coverdale wanted to have Chris and Cozy and me in his band. And, and, uh, and I said to Peter, why don't you ask him to join us? But nothing, neither happened. And so... Basically, um, Graham Bonnet wow. just had left uh, Rainbow, and and so did Cozy, and um, and so they both joined the band. But uh, then um, Cozy Powerful probably got persuaded by David Coverdale to join him, and then I I took um, and then Chris Glenn said, you know, how about Ted McKenna, who is a superb drummer, and. Uh, uh, he just, you know, he was with Rory Gallagher as well as the Alex Harvey band, and um, and so we, we 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 and then we did the Assault Attack album, and uh, and yeah. uh, that didn't last at all because you know we started our first show, um, 50 minutes later I look to the center of the stage there was no more Graham Bonnet <laughs> he, he had just left he, I don't know what happened and we asked the audience do you want to do you want us to carry on without? And we did, and they wanted us. And so that was that was 15 minutes on stage with Graham. But Assault Attack became a, a, a musician's favorite, you know. And uh, then I wanted to experiment with a 50-50, um, you know, a partnership. I wanted to know what it feels like to share responsibility 50-50. found Robin McCauley. I had no problem giving him the M. Um, it just happened to be that his second name was McCauley, so I could, in order to keep the MSG, I just uh, gave him the uh, the McCauley, I mean the M for McCauley, and called it McCauley Schenker Group MSG, and uh, that lasted until uh, 90, 91, and then I I was ready to just go my own way, and 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 that was the time when I was completely free and pressure free, and uh, you know it, it, well, it was always somebody. Always somewhere, somebody showing up. I mean, you know, there's a guy who was too much for 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 uh, White Snake and the Purple. He ended up stealing eighty thousand pounds, probably much much more, and run away and uh, cross collateralized me, um, paying the debts for UFO and MSG, you know, for the red company. Unbelievable stuff. Because I was not never really watching out for for people betraying me or anything i was just playing music i was just happy being a musician you know until somebody opened my my eyes the limo driver said to me michael you are you must you must be careful you're being wrapped off left and right you know and that's when i said to myself why am i why am i hanging out with these guys if everybody's just ripping me off so i i just carried on on my on my own i had the, the best time in my life i mean i was completely free I was my own manager, and I, I was able to do whatever I wanted. And uh, in 2008, something happened, very unusual feeling. I had the urge being on stage. I used to be very, you know, actually all, all my life I was a stage fright. And for the first time, I wanted to be on stage. There was a really strange feeling. I actually, and I took that as a sign to be back in the loop of rock and roll. So I call that my third stage of my life. And... Uh, and that's when I basically 
built up everything again or, or carried on where I, where I left off when I was 23 and, uh, you know, got to this point where I'm now and, and celebrating, you know, the, you know, and that's where yeah. the Michael Schenker Fest comes in now with original, um, um, with original singers and, um, you know, and actually being able to sing McCauley and uh, Graham Bonnet and, and Gary Barden, original stuff. As a, with original singers, including Temple of Rock with Doogie White, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's a great album. Now, you did mention these different bands that had wanted to get you, Ozzy, uh, Aerosmith, uh, and, and you working with David Coverdale, which, by the way, as a fan of the Scorpions and of Whitesnake and of yourself, the thought of you and David working together, I'll be dreaming about that for the rest of the day. <laughs> oh, actually, you know <laughs> yeah, what? You know? At, yeah, at this point in time, actually, I had I had... You know, I, I I was keen on 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 actually recording a a a rock out blues rock album with with David Coverdale. I would really love to. Yeah, that he's really one of my favorite singers. I saw him when I got a when I got an award in Las Vegas, and and he was doing it. His voice, man, so big and bluesy, unbelievable. But uh, you know, today I'm in in a, in a, in a space I can do anything today. You know, I can do anything. I mean, other than um, playing other people's songs, you know, which I would not be interested in, but making records with people that I was never able to make records with because of the way I am, and um, you know, not being, not wanting to 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 cop, you know, be in a band like David Coverdale and having to play his past, you know, songs. Um, oh, that would be great. From... But, but but let me ask you this with that, because there was a band that you did join just as a replacement, I guess, for an unplugged, and a, but you did agree to go play with Rat. So how, how is it? Yeah, that... but that was, okay. that was, that, that was a six months break I had before Robin and I were going to record our next album. And that, that's when contraband, we were all in the same label. That's when the contraband thing happened. And uh, that was a filler thing. Actually, Warney Martini is a Michael Schenker fan, and he became a friend. And he asked me if I could please do this, you know, for him. And I did, you know, to, because the Robin died, and they had a tour, and 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 so I was free. Uh, it was a weird experience. There, a weird bunch of people, I must say. And uh, but I did that, and and I did the contraband, which only lasted one album because. Um, you know, Tracy Guns and, and Richard Black didn't get on. And so that was that. But, you know, that was something to do rather than sitting around. <laughs> yeah, and it's a pity because I actually had bought the Contrabad album the very first day it came out back in, what was it, 91, I guess it was. Great album. Great, great album. Um, yeah, it was actually, it was a fantastic, it was kind of an interesting concept. Uh, the individuals were very unique and it's, each one of them was a unique kind of a person. <laughs> it was kind of interesting, you know, but uh, unfortunately. Now, Temple of Rock, that had, of course, um, Herman and Francis, uh, formerly of the Scorpions as well. Is that still an ongoing concern, or have you sort of moved into Michael Schenkerfest, or are, are they both happening? Yeah, I mean, okay. they are doing other things anyway, and uh, Michael Schenkerfest, you know, is something that had to happen. I I wanted to to perform. We were we were touring for four years. We did two DVDs, two CDs, uh, and and I announced a break. And so as we did, as I announced the break, 
um, I, I carried, I started doing this Michael Fest and they started doing their own thing. Like Herman is doing his own thing and stuff like that. And so, you know, and that is now quite a while ago. And then I wanted to carry on with Michael Schenker's Temple of Rock. But then came the idea, wait a minute, because we're doing a studio album, I really want Doogie to be part of this so that I can carry on, you know, performing that stuff that I did with Doogie. And so, you know, somehow, but the things that I do, they're always based on circumstances. It's like never planned ahead. It's just kind of, you know, it's like things develop in front of me just like naturally and uh, so I you know everybody was already doing something else and Doogie is available I'm making an album with him and this is a perfect you know I can carry on performing um, Temple of Rock material and uh, new material that I recorded with Doogie on the Michael Schenker Fest album and uh, in the past all with original singers and so that was the opportunity to actually melt it all together, you know, to carry on with Doogie and also have the Michael Schenker Fest with the other three singers. It was just a perfect solution that happened. It came out of the blue. It really did. Now, um, I, I don't know how much extra time you have, but if you have a couple more minutes, I have a couple more questions. Yeah, have. you know, it's extremely windy here where, where I am in, in, in the UK, okay. and I'll just see my, my umbrella. <laughs> I put it, you know, I tied it together, but it's kind of just about to start to fly away. So if you be very quick, I, I have to catch that umbrella before it goes. <laughs> before it goes. Okay, so let, let me just finish with this then. Um, the Assault Attack album with Graham Bonnet. You know, it came out to mixed reviews, but now as we are in 2017, we look back at it with great reference. We, we Fans just think, wow, what a fantastic album. Um, just quickly talk to me about that, because unfortunately with the live show, like you mentioned, Graham didn't get to stick around, but just looking back at that album, how do you sort of feel about it? How does it feel, fit into your... It was great. It was great. It was a great rhythm section, a fantastic vocalist, a fantastic producer. Couldn't have been better. Uh, unfortunately, Chris's records, they just had a problem with their company and they relocated and stuff like that. So it kind of missed out on the promotion. But, you know, uh, Graham only lasted 50 minutes on stage. So it basically wasn't meant to be to move on any further than that. Um, it was a musician's favorite, which says it all for me, because, you know, it seems like I'm playing more for musicians than for the white mass. Um, you know, I'm just a, a, a trend maker rather than a trend follower. And uh, so that that album, um, you know, I also for 30 years, I never performed any Mikoli Schenker songs. You know, I think there is something that more than meets the eye. I think it was all meant to be to happen now. Um, you know, I don't I, I'm not the maker of the universe. I don't know how it all works, but there are mysterious things that do happen. And uh, I believe that things that need to that meant to happen will happen when it's time to happen. You know, and I also believe that everybody plays a function and uh, it's a timing thing. It's at a particular time we, we're doing particular things that are very 
um, you know, like... Uh, well, relevant. Um, They're very uh, relevant and very uh, well-received yeah, yeah. by the fans. Michael, I could I could go on for the next half hour because I could ask you all kinds of stuff. <laughs> we, have, we haven't covered the Scorpions. We haven't covered a whole bunch of stuff, but uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for today. And, of course, uh, the North American tour starts on March 6th. Yeah. Uh, in uh, Silver Springs, uh, Maryland, and of course the UK tour is ne- uh, this November. Uh, thank you, Mike. Yep. Always thank a pleasure. Thank you very much. Cheers. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Thank you. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. Bear mattress is designed for optimal cooling, comfort, and muscle recovery, so you can sleep better and perform at your best every day. Go to BearMattress.com, that's B-E-A-R, Mattress.com, and use code ROCK50 to take $50 off your new mattress. The Bear Mattress uses eco-friendly materials and was developed with insights from sleep experts, professional athletes, and engineers to create a super comfortable and supportive sleep that is up to seven times cooler than traditional foam mattresses. The Bear Mattress uses FDA-determined salient textile technology so your body can recover faster, sleep better, and improve performance. Buying a mattress in a store can cost thousands of dollars, but Bear Mattress starts at just $500, and every size is under $1,000. The Bear Mattress is made in the USA, sold online and ships free right to your doorsteps, making it easy and convenient for you, my loyal, wonderful listeners. Buying a Bear mattress online is completely risk-free with a 100-night in-home trial. You get 100 nights to try out the mattress, and if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you 100% of your money. That's right, 100 nights absolutely risk-free with no hidden charges or fees. Named the best mattress for active lifestyles by Gear Patrol. Go to Bear Mattress, that's B-E-A-R, mattress.com today. And use promo code ROCK50 for $50 off your purchase. And tell them Mitch sent you. That'll always get you an extra something, pretty sure. Hi there, my name is Susie Schuster. And I'm Rich Eisen. We're teaming up once again in the studio with our new podcast, Not Just Sports, with Susie Schuster and Rich Eisen on Podcast One Sports. In case you're wondering what this show's about, sometimes we're not just sports. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? And that we actually like being in each other's We do. Enough to work together and I think have so. three kids. That's why we haven't spent enough time together that we're sitting here at Podcast One. So we're sportscasters and we're parents, so we'll talk sports and maybe parental guidance will be suggested every now and then. I would hope so, because this is not an X-rated podcast. No, that's correct. This is a family-friendly podcast. It is exactly that. So we're just going to be hanging out, talking sports and other stuff. And I will try to educate you on all things in the NFL, because, of course, behind every great man is a greater woman. That's correct. Join us every Wednesday exclusively on Podcast One. Subscribe today if you know it's good for you on Apple Podcasts or at PodcastOne.com or download it on the new Podcast One app. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Welcome back, and a very big thank you to Michael Schenker. Love speaking uh, to Michael and anybody who's ever been uh, associated or remotely associated with the Scorpions, one of my all-time favorite bands. But uh, let us move on 
to Max Cavalera, formerly of Sepultura, but more importantly of Soulfly. The band has been on tour performing Nail Bomb's entire Point Blank album, and Max is a busy guy because he's also got a new album coming out with Cavalera Conspiracy called Psychosis. We talk about that or those things, but we also talk about the very first Soulfly album, which in 2018 will be celebrating its 20 years since its release. And uh, Max talks about putting together a Soulfly first album show, but under very specific circumstances, uh, he mentions in the interview where he would be amenable to to do that kind of first album, 20th anniversary uh, well, full album show. So uh, pay close attention and listen to how or where you could see a Soulfly 20th anniversary uh, full album show. And so let me get right into the interview so you can start uh, listening and picking apart. Here is, without further ado, the one, the only, the exceptionally affable Max Cavalera. We are speaking with Max Cavalera, the band currently on tour, uh, doing a Point Blank with Soulfly, the uh, Nail Bomb album. Uh, Max, great, great pleasure to speak with you. Likewise, man. Good to be here talking to you. Yeah, good. So we, so you've got this interesting tour that, that, that's going on right now, the Point Blank with Soulfly. We're going back to that 1994 album. Um, talk to me about wanting to do this album, because you had just done the Return to Roots, and you had done that sort of album tour, and now you went, okay, let me go back and explore this album. Um, talk to me about the decision and, and what it's like to sort of bring back those songs and put them in a live setting. Yeah, it, it kind of um it kind of came with the after we did the roots return to roots was a big success and it was a lot of fun. And um people's been asking about Nail Bomb for a long time. Uh, if I gonna do another record, if you know do we have ever a chance to play live. So my wife had the great idea to have um, so I played the songs and I thought this that's that's a really cool twist because um, what's interesting to me is that Soulfly is a real band with a lot of weight. You know, we're um, a band that has a heavy sound and have a have a, a you know a real powerhouse behind. We could turn and turn the songs of Point Blank into some really cool live songs, and so we gave it a go and we went to practice and it sounded great. So we just put this package together with kind of an underground package with Lodi Kong, uh, Noise and Cannabis Corpse, all cool bands from the underground. And it went into kind of like uh, smaller places uh, all across the U.S. and Canada. Um, but it's so fun because it's a great record and it was made to play live. You know, that record, there was one record that was translates great live. It's point blank, especially when a, with a band behind it like Soulfly playing it's just it's perfect it sounds awesome yeah it really does now the band only made two albums and of course fans are asking about will there be another album um is that something that interests you at that point to sort of revisit that time in that space or are you more focused on Cavalera Conspiracy and the next sort of new Soulfly yeah well there will never be another Nail Bomb record because we're pretty much done, you know, and I, I'm sure Alex doesn't want to do another one. And uh, I think it's kind of cool to leave it like that. And I think that made it more special. And I, I think that's even more special uh, 
to to be able to tour with Point Blank because of that because it was like a really cult classic record that um, we put it out and we get to revisit live like we did Return to Roots which is amazing um, but my efforts are more, are more focused on what I've got going now for the future which is of course Cavalera coming out in November and Soulfly you know Soulfly is a great uh Next year is a big year for us because it's the anniversary of the first record that came out in '98, and also it's um, it's going to be our new record on come out Nuclear Blast. They're very behind the record. They're really excited for the new Soulfly record. Um, I'm going to start working on it when I'm done with the Nail Bomb tour, but I already kind of know what I want to do with the record, which is kind of a return a little bit more to some of the tribal sounds. I exploring the earlier uh, phase of Soulfly. I want to maybe return to some of those and write some, uh, some of them, there'll be a continuation of, of, of what I did on Archangel, which was re- a lot of people really like Archangel a lot. So I'm going to continue some of that kind of stuff. Um, but it'll be a really exciting year because we have a new album within in a year that commemorates 20 years of a first record. So all that together should be really cool. So we're going to concentrate on that, touring a little bit for Cavalera Conspiracy. Um, so it's a, it's going to be a year of new music and touring. So it should be you know a lot of fun, and I should be pretty busy throughout the whole year. Yeah, uh, more more of uh, of the tour. Uh, but let me just since you mentioned the first Soulfly album, um, talk to me a little bit about that album and going into it. Were you nervous coming out of Sepultura that you were sort of standing on your own, going to make this album? Or was it exciting for you to be like, hey, now I have the freedom to do exactly as I want? Um, what are some of the memories of that first album and the anticipation and um, putting it together? A little bit of both. I know it was, it was the nervousness of being alone and being uh, without Sepultura first, but also the excitement of of being like okay like i get i have a chance to do something new and different uh which is cool one of the, the things i try at the beginning of so flight we actually i actually called dr no from bad brains and asked him if he wanted to make the record unfortunately he turned it down but that would have been really cool we end up we are having lucio from brazil from chico science band and it's really great guitar player he did like this Jimi hendrix Five on the record that was really cool, really exciting. That first of my album is a really interesting album because I'm in the kind of a, it's kind of a redemption uh, record for me. It was kind of like uh, accept me. This is I. This 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 is this is how I am. This is me giving it all. You know, like open my arms. Even the album cover with the arms open is like uh, a kind of a statement. Um, of where how I was at that time and it was really an honest record, like really kind. Of, and it was a crazy record. If you, if you, if I think if you listen to that record, it, it's really weird. It's got a lot of crazy stuff on it, like some real tribal stuff that was really cool, like tribe and Boomba and um, uh, Quilombo, and then a lot of heavy stuff like No Hope, No Fear, Eye for an Eye, Fire, No. Um, and then some some hardcore stuff like the song remains insane. Uh, so it, it was uh, yeah, we had a couple of, of guests like Chino from the Deftones on First Commandment, Benji from The Boar on Prejudice, 
uh, of course, Fred Limbiscuit on on bleed. Um, but uh, we have Umbabara Umba was a cover from Georgia Band, a Brazilian artist. It was a, it was a fun record, man. It was like uh, coming out of the uh, out of roots with something different, new, exciting, and we didn't know what what's gonna happen with that. But that record is very successful. It was gold in America it, 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 when, it, when that when the people bought records, you know. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I was going to say because it was very successful, and it must have been a great relief to you because had it had it bombed, you know, what do you do? Do you do you go back to to Sepultura? Do you try another one? Right. But but with the success, that must have been like, oh, okay, now I can sort of breathe and 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 see where I'm going to go next. So so there must have been a great sense of relief when it when it became that successful. Yeah, it was, and it was really cool for me was when we did the first tour which was very important and um we played this uh this festival called big day out in australia where sepulchre was supposed to headline and we canceled and that was uh, like for me the affirmation of soulfly has arrived you know it was the crowd was insane we played early in the afternoon I don't know what was going to happen. There's a, be anybody there, but it was packed. It was like completely packed, and they went nuts from the first note of "I for an Eye." There's some videos on YouTube somewhere of that. It's, it's completely awesome. It's, it's freaking great. Um, and I, I right there realized that, that this is going to work. This is going to be cool. This is I have a chance to do something different. And I, I yeah, carry on. You know, like primitive was more experimental with a lot of gas it was a really fun record so flight three was a return to the trash kind of like brought it into into prophecy uh prophecy is still one of my favorite soul flight records i ever did um together with dark ages was like a real cool phase of of the, the kind of mixing of, of tribal and trash um but it but it was cool it was like like you're right like uh with a real big sense of relief when we realized the first record was well accepted by the fans and um i was actually to able to breathe and get like okay a sense of things gonna work out good because for for a lot of people like when a lot of people leave bands a lot of them don't succeed in another band you know it's it's a very very statistics are really against you for you to succeed on that area once you leave a big band the chance of you making it with something else, it's real slim. So I got very, I guess, lucky, but I work hard on it too. You know, I mean, we put a lot of heart and soul on those, on on those records, especially the first one. That's why people, I think a lot of people like the first Soul Fly a lot because it's very, it's a very honest record. And I think you could argue uh, quite reasonably that Soulfly has become as important as Sepultura in, in the metal world in the sense that you, you look at the discography and you look at the sounds you've created and you look at, at, at everything you've done, and, and it's important. I mean, it, it holds its own. So, you know, congratulations on yeah, that. I I mean, think, uh, yeah, I think to me what, what's really cool about Soulfly is actually the tribe that we created because it's the fans. And I see that everywhere, the the, the, the Soulfly tattoos, uh, the, the amount of tattoos I've seen is overwhelming. There's so many of them. And they're huge, huge Soulfly fans. They really love Soulfly a lot, which is great. You know, like, I didn't really expect that. I was, I was always going to be connected with Sepultura, connected to the past. But that wasn't really the case. Like, they liked it. 
they, they love what they did with Sepultura, but they they love Soulfly. They really are part of this tribe, and uh, they are they are proud of it, you know. And and they show uh, so many times during like the Roots tour, a lot of people show up in, in Soulfly t-shirts, you know, just to support, you know, the support of Soulfly is, is is cool. And the other thing that's really cool is the actually meaning of the message has kind of changed. Soulfly is a bit more spiritual. And it deals with like tribal things, political things, and spiritual things, and a lot of things dealing with tragedies and stuff. So um, when I hear it, my music has helped people through hard times, to me, it's the coolest thing that I, I could have probably done with my music is to actually help somebody else going through a hard time. And uh, you can't put a price on that. I think that's the coolest thing you can do with the music is, is giving that much power to a lot of other people through your music. Um, Sometimes we're not even there, you know, we just make the records and put it out and, and, you know, we don't really see what happened after the record comes out, but it goes into people's life, you know, and becomes something real big in their life. And I think that's really cool. And that's something I'm very proud of it. Yeah. And, and that's, that's sort of what music should be. It should be about empowering and stuff. Um, uh, Cavalera Conspiracy Psychosis obviously comes out in November. Um Talk to me about that album. What can fans expect? It's a really uh, interesting record because it was really well made. It was really uh, it, it's a it's a labor of love, man. You know, we we put a lot of heart and and soul and time on it. We had our friend Arthur produce. Uh, he did some good work with Code Orange and, and Power Trip, and so he was he was the, the perfect guy for for the album and. I work, you know, real hard on the riffs for like two months. I wrote the riffs of the album and I really found some of my best new riffs I could find right now. And um, it was a trip making the record because it was kind of like we, we, half of the album was a bit looking back at the, the, the death metal, trash metal mix of albums like Beneath the Remains and Arise and Schizophrenia, even Morbid Visions in songs like like uh, Judas Pariah. And the other the other part of the record is real noisy stuff like Full of Hell and, and Nails and the stuff that we listen to right now. Um, and that's kind of like where the Arthur um, input came in, which was cool because he's connected to the new generation of bands as as, as well. Um, so we, we, it was a mix of that. And then we had, you know, Justin from Godflesh on Hellfire was also really cool. I love Godflesh and having him on the album was extremely cool, extremely uh a different guest that was, re- I think, makes the album really interesting, really cool. And the song Psychosis, too, which is like a little bit like prog rock, you know, it's, it's a different era for us uh, to writing. Uh, started with, with Igor's tribal drums, and I had a lot of some really like Russian circles, Pelican, Neurosis kind of riff on top of it. And uh, it was very different from the rest of the album. Uh, and everything else um, is very trash, death metal, but with that kind of like really find attention to detail like in one song there's six riffs so we're going to use six different trash riffs to make the song kick ass you know that that was the kind of, of, of mindset so i sat down with actors like i'm going to make this we're going to do it right so let's find six great riffs and right now we're going to put on this song right now and we're going to make this song insane you know amazing totally cool um we so we took the time to really do stuff like that on the album and i never really had that luxury of, of being able to do that with Cavalera before a lot of the other records were a little bit uh, more 
uh, just went in the studio and recorded and with what we have. This time we had a, we had a little bit more time to work on the songs a little bit. I got time to sit down with Arthur and Igor and um, rearrange some of them and make sure they got a lot of the parts and we have different tempos and different changes and rhythm sections and stuff. So it was really cool to in, in that area to pay attention to details, even in stuff like we had um, artists for, uh, his friend with Prurient. Prurient does a lot of weird, cool ambient sounds. So he makes a lot of noises for the album that's in between songs. Um, so even little cool details like that, that's like sometimes overlooked by other bands, we put a lot of attention to every little detail. And I think it pays off. I think in the end, we have run out an album that I feel extremely proud of it. And it sounds terrific because the production with the Arthur Gate was really good. And um, I'm very happy with that. Can't wait for people to hear. And get out on tour with it. Now, now, now talk to me about bands here. You did Sepultura. You did Nailbone. You do Soulfly. Cavalera Conspiracy. Killer Be Killed. Um, why not just go out there and be Max Cavalera solo artist? Why have sort of different outfits? Why not just be, this is me and my music will be whatever it is in this year. Why sort of the, the need for different bands and not just sort of be Max? Right. I don't know what was that. I, I feel more comfortable in, in a band, I think, than anything else. So I think, like, um, I, 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 I think I function better under a band. And I, I, for me, having all these outlets is the, the, the greatest thing because it's a bit different from each other. You know, maybe not uh, for somebody that doesn't know metal, then maybe they all sound the same crazy. But if you know metal, you know that Killer BQ is very different from Cavalera. And Cavalera is very different from Soulfly. Um, and Nail Bomb is different from all of them. You know, so it's like, right. but I think that's what is cool. Uh, I get to express different things. Killer BQ is a little bit more my melodic side. Uh, Cavalera is right now really a, that death thrash metal thing. Soulfly is, it's got heavier through the years, you know, which was cool, especially, dark, you know, Archangels is really cool, like biblical kind of record and um to me it makes it exciting it makes it fun to keep doing it you know i'm I'm looking forward to the new soulfly i'm looking forward to new killer bq whenever we have a chance to do that we're gonna you know killer bq is not even a, a matter of uh i know once we get to the studio cool things we're gonna come out of it that's just how it is just the 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 musicianship is very uh, strong, strong on, on that project, you know, so it's just a matter of putting us under the same roof. That's the hard part. It's just line up, get us in, in the same room. That's the hard part. Because Once of the scheduling. The scheduling is crazy. Troy is always on tour. Greg's on tour. I'm on tour. Um, eventually we'll find the time and we'll, we'll do it and it will be great, you know, but yeah. I love the challenge. I love the challenge that each one of those things uh, gave me uh soulfly is always a challenge cavalier is, is a challenge like psychosis was a big challenge to me to prove that I, uh, we still can do this 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 death thrash thing you know to the t like we did back in the day and um killer bq is more you know adventures more on the on the melodic side i don't sing so much i have uh, the other guys get to do their stuff, and I kind of some songs I totally lay back. I don't, I barely sing on it, which is cool. I like, I, I like that, you know. So, 
every uh, band has this different challenge, and I enjoy all of them. Yeah, and 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 I'll take it out of the metal world for a second, though. But you look at a band like U2 or an artist like Madonna; they reinvent themselves album to album, tour to tour, and yet they just call themselves U2 and they just call themselves Madonna. So that that's sort of where my question is: is why not just be Max and then do the Soulfly music and do the Cavalera Conspiracy, but it's just Max reinventing himself. You know, 2011, this is Max. 2012, this is Max. 2015. And that, that's sort of where that question comes from because, uh, you know, it's interesting to, to reinvent yeah, oneself. I, 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 right. I think that the reinvention is really cool. And I think it, I've been part of that. And I think, like, some of the records are being uh, essential for that. Especially, if, I think, if you look at that stuff like Chaos AD that came out of our rise, Chaos AD was a truly a reinvention kind of album um we changed everything and redid the whole like wrote the rules of the of metal again for us how you can play metal in the different same with roots like came with a different thing and i think uh uh there, that's there's been a couple of of soulfly albums that for me done that soulfly one like prophecy for me was a really cool album. Like a lot of, especially on the experimental side, I got to do some traveling in different countries that I always wanted, like that world metal thing that I kind of like took it as my own, kind of took the torch for it and, and went ahead and do it. And um, there's a couple of, uh, Archangel was for me was a really refreshing record too. It was really cool doing all the biblical stuff. I felt like I was doing something uh, a little bit different from everything else, but really felt good. Really felt uh, honest and, and um, real uh, to do something like that. Especially the uh, the album cover was amazing. Uh, Eliran Cantor gave me an amazing album cover, and uh, I was really happy with that. And uh, yeah, and also uh, yeah. working with great producers like Matt Hyde and. Josh Wilbur and people like that's been great, you know, Arthur. Um, I'm looking forward to do more of that, but um, in the end, I, I, I don't know. Maybe in the future, I, you know, I, I'll give, I'll give it a try as 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 a, as a solo artist. But I don't think so. I think I'm pretty cool with the, with the bands, and I like the challenge that the, the bands bring to me. Uh, plus, I like the visual world. You know, like Soulfly has the symbol. I really. I'm really in touch with the Soulfly symbol. I think it's a kick-ass symbol that a lot of people, especially when I see the tattoos around the world that people have of that, it's amazing. Like, I've seen more tattoos of that symbol than anything else, and it just blows my mind. And I know how much tattoos hurt, so I know it's a real hardcore um, proof of, of fan base. You know? Yeah, it's really, really cool to see that. Just quickly, you mentioned the, the, the first Soulfly album, and of course, 20 years next year. Does that mean, you know, you've done the, the Nail Bomb Point Blank and you've done the Return to Roots. Do you think you'll do an album tour of the first Soulfly album? It's been mentioned before. Some people have asked for that. Um, not sure if you're going to do or not. We, we still have not thought about it yet. Um, we know for sure we want to do a record, you know, and that Nuclear Blast is very behind. And I have a really cool idea, which is going to be for now a, a secret. But it, it is a really cool idea it's kind of a concept kind of an album which is like very different from the other Soulfly records I ever done it's got a whole concept for the whole thing it's very cool 
and my my uh, wish to to bring some of the tribal sounds back is also something that's really kind of something I wanted to do for a long time because I'm always really always felt connected to the to the groove of the tribal drums, and I felt that was kind of missing on the on the last kind of records we did didn't have much of that. Um, so it'd be fun to bring some of that back. Um, yeah, it, it would be. So we, we, we'll see, but uh, we're excited. You know, um, uh, if that happens to, that we we do the first record, it'll be really cool too. You know, maybe in the special occasions we can do that. Maybe not on a whole tour, but maybe like a special festival here and there. We get to play the whole uh, first record. It'd be great. Oh, that'd be fantastic. And and just before we run out of time, you, you of course did the the return to roots. But what was it like for you doing those shows and and revisiting an album that you know is 21 years old now? What was it like to play those songs? Do do you do you play them and say, oh, we should have done this, we should have improved it this way? Is it just like, wow, I forgot that we did this? Like, what was that experience like to go back and just listen to it and learn it and play it and, and present it to the fans? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good, especially the sort of stuff we never played before. Uh, there's a ton of stuff on, on Roots that we never played before, like, um, uh, you know, Look Away, Breathe Apart, um, uh, Endangered Species, and uh, um, Ambush. You know, it was a lot of uh, Itzari with the, with, the, with the Indian voice. Igor did the drum on top of it. It was great. Um, yeah, it took us back to, to a lot of the really cool moments, but also it was like... Uh, um, it was a really successful tour, man. It was great. You know, like it was packed everywhere. It was, it, it became a big deal. You know, it was like one of those things that we, I realized how important this record was for a lot of people and it was really worth it to, to made a tour out of it. It was um, a genius idea and it was, uh, you know, um, again, I can't take credit for my, it was my wife's idea, you know, um, but I think it was genius and people want to hear with, 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 with with the original voice and the original drums and what was cool was also the the, the kind of people we saw at the shows because we saw a lot of people of our age that grow up with us and was there at the time we saw all these young kids too they were like 11 12 13 years old were not even born when roots came out and they loved this record so much it's really cool to identify with that new generation like how how this new generation sees an album like roots was always a big puzzle to me how do they react? How do they see a records like that? That was done before they were even born. Uh, they love it. They really, really dig it all the way through. And uh, even right now on the nail bomb shows, a couple of shows you've seen a lot of young kids in the front. Real uh, that were not born when so when nail bomb came out either, which is really cool. I love seeing that. You know, it's like always good. Um, yeah, it's always good to uh, to, uh, to to regenerate. Yeah. Yeah, it's always fun to have different fans, different age, um, you know, young kids together with old fans. And um, there's some fans that we always see that there was, there was, there was a girl in Chicago the other day. I was like, I've been seeing her. I don't, have, I, I don't know her name. I wanted to say that she'll go ask her name so I can like say hi to her and have, give a shout out to her because she's been there from the beginning of, from I guess, the end of Sepultura the whole entire soul flight, you know, I just know her face, you know, it's like, it's incredible, you know, some of those fans are so cool, you know, they've been on this thing forever with us, you know, so it's, it's really cool, and we've made a lot of cool friendships through the year, 
with a lot of the bands that we tour with, you know, the Full of Hell, Immolation Tour was great, Suffocation, Battlecross was great. Um, a lot of great package tours. I love these package tours, man. Those are the best, my favorite things. I hope one day uh, my, my goal is to make a little festival, like a mini Ozfest, but, you know, much more underground, of course, but with all my favorite underground music that I love, because, I, you know, I like, I like a lot of, you know, that congregation, Titan Blood, Nacroth, you know, I listen to a lot of extreme metal on, on my spare time. Um, I would love to do like a little mini festival with all those cool, really cool underground bands and and be part of it somehow and bring it to the fans. It would be awesome. Yeah, that would be great. And, and, and what you should do at a mini festival is get all the bands that you've been in to play. Cavalier, right? You could have Soulfly, Nail Bomb, Cavalier. That could be like the, the afternoon slate right there. Uh, Max, a great pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. All right, man. Nice talking to you, brother. Nice talking to you, and we'll see you soon. All right. Take care. Bye bye now. Cheers. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. When you're looking to buy a car, you want to make sure that you're getting real pricing on actual inventory. Unfortunately, a lot of the time, that isn't the case. People configure cars online only later to find out they're not available. With TrueCar, you get real pricing on actual inventory. This is not pricing offered by TrueCar, but pricing from an actual dealer. And not just any dealer, but a TrueCar certified dealer. This is a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency and offering you a competitive market price. Using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want. Next, TrueCar will show you what other people in your area paid for the same car that you are looking for. Now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident. Over 3 million cars have been sold to True Car users by the True Car Certified Dealer Network. There are over 13,000 True Car Certified Dealers nationwide. You will work directly with a True Car Certified Dealer contact. True Car users are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they are connected with a True Car Certified Dealer. True Car users save an average of over $3,000 off MSRP. When you're ready to buy, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Rock Talk. Wasn't Max Cavalera absolutely fantastic? What a what a great interview subject. Loved his answers, loved his whole vibe, the whole thing. But uh, there you go. Let us move on to Candice Knight of the band Blackmore's Knight. They are back with a re-release of their Christmas album classic, Winter Carols. They have uh, touched it up, added a few songs, and uh, there we go. So we talk about that. They have also done the To the Moon and Back 20 Years and Beyond, another collection that we talk about. And we also talk about Richie and moving forward with Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. Where we are with that and will there be a new album or won't there be? And guess what? There's some very specific answers in there detailing all kinds of really exciting stuff. It's, you know, and of course we talk about the new singer, Ronnie Romero, 
a lot of people have uh, poo-pooed the idea of not having one of the guys that was on the Rainbow albums. And you, but you know what? Uh, give Ronnie a chance. Ronnie is actually a really, really good singer. And uh, you'll be hearing a lot more from uh, Ronnie uh, in the years to come because I just know that a talent like that cannot be uh, held in the shadows forever. So a uh, lot of great stuff, but um, let's get started. Here is, without further ado, the one, the only, Candace Knight. We are speaking with Candace Knight. Uh, pleasure to speak with you, Candace. Thanks so much, Mitch. It's good to be here. Yes, and of course, uh, you are part of Blackmore's Night and... Lots of great releases uh, from the band. You've got To the Moon and Back, the 20th anniversary compilation, which looks back at some of the stuff. And, of course, the uh, Winter Carols, the re-release that, uh, well, it's out now. So where would you like to start? Should we go to the Moon and Back first and, and talk about that album and, and, and just sort of revisiting some of those songs? I- I'm always all about going to the moon and back anyway. <laughs> right. I feel like most of the most of the CDs that we've done or the albums we've done have always had some sort of moon, like magical, mystical moon theme, whether it was Under a Violet Moon, Shadow of the Moon, Dancer of the Moon. So we're always very inspired by the moon. So that sounds like a good place to start. Yeah, so, so talk to me about, well, first of all, let me ask you this. You have this great timber in your voice. You, you really, to me, sound like, you know, an Ann Wilson or a Nancy Wilson, like that heart kind of vibe. And, of course, your husband was known for the big rock guitar. You've, you've chosen to go medieval uh, music. <laughs> Talk to me about that choice because it's, it's very interesting and it's very courageous in a sense because the easy thing would be to, you know, you and Richie put out a, a massive rock album. But talk to me about sort of the musical direction you've taken for this career. Well, it's interesting because I actually, I, I was never exposed to Renaissance or medieval music before I met my husband, and uh, unbeknownst to me, he that's all he listened to at, at his home all the time. I thought, you know, when I first met Richie, because he was in Deep Purple at that point, um, honestly, the only I was working for a radio station, and the only songs that I really knew of Deep Purple was, you know, what was played on the radio. So I was kind of more of a Rainbow fan, and I met him on a soccer field, so it had nothing to do with music. So the next day, I went out after I had met him, and uh, I, I went to a, a vinyl shop, because they still had record stores in those days. Uh, it was 1989, and I just bought so many Deep Purple albums, so I kind of, you know, be well-versed on the music. And and uh, the funny thing is, it, it never came up in conversation. <laughs> what wound up coming up in conversation was things about um, paranormal events and supernatural and, and history and um, all of these amazing stories. And uh, the music never did. So I didn't know what he personally liked or what he listened to. I just automatically assumed that he was really into hard rock. And um, when I started visiting him in his home, this big old uh, English tutor place in, in Connecticut, in the woods of Connecticut, with nothing around for miles, and it was very dark and very woody, and it had a minstrel's gallery, and I would go up there to visit him, and all he would be um, playing in, in this home was uh, medieval and Renaissance music on, on his CD player, on his um, tape player at that point. And to me, it was the first time I ever really heard that kind of music. It's not the style of music I would have heard on on the radio or been exposed to here um, in New York. So um, it was very interesting and and kind of really opened my eyes to a whole other genre of music. 
And I noticed that living up there with him in, in the woods of Connecticut, and we would kind of, you know, open the, the drapes, the heavy drapes in, in, you know, the afternoon and see whether it was snow falling or the leaves changing and the deer were on the lawn and, and the music would be playing in the house. For me, it wound up being almost the soundtrack to nature. And it was the audio that just fit the visuals of nature so perfectly. It was like the perfect marriage of both of those things. And it really resonated. It was it was just amazing to have that, that deep emotional pull um, with everything kind of melding together so perfectly. Yeah, it really so, was. Um, yeah, it, it was amazing. So when he and I started playing acoustically together, that's sort of where our, our minds went, was kind of the, the escape from the rock and roll world. We started writing songs together in 1995, I guess, or around there, when he had reformed Rainbow and, and left Deep Purple in 1993. Um, and while the other guys were, you know, from Rainbow were doing their backing tracks, uh, Richie and I would be sitting there in front of a raging fireplace with his acoustic guitar, and we would just be writing songs that were inspired by this, you know, this other realm, this this visual of hundreds of years ago. And, and, and it was kind of, I guess, our escape from the stress and pressures that the rock and roll world wound up being to him after he had been in that world for about 40 years at that point. Yeah, so many years. Well, so let me just pick up on that there. Stranger in Us All, which was the 95 album, um, mm -hmm. uh, you end up doing some backing vocals on it and some writing, but talk to me about that experience because, you know, you meet him and you're, you're up in Connecticut and you're seeing the snowfall and you're seeing all this stuff, but then you're like, wait a minute, I am going to be on a... <laughs> Richie Blackmore Rainbow album because that that's that's a big deal for a lot of fans, right? I mean, it's one of those names where fans have an expectation and they have the, the whole package. They think, uh, what was that challenge like for you? Was it just sort of frivolous and fun? Was it I took it really deep and serious? Was it sort of a combination of both? How, how was it working on that album and knowing that you were going to be on, quote unquote, a Rainbow album? Well, having been such a huge fan of Rainbow for so many years, it was it was obviously a huge honor that Richard would even consider you know me to to um, to wear any hat in that camp at all. I mean, these guys are are seasoned veterans. You know, at that point there was John O'Reilly, who's an amazing drummer. He played with everybody. Uh, Doogie White was the singer. He was um, he was newly newly found. Actually, I had found him. They, he had passed a tape to uh, a personal assistant of Richie's on um, the Deep Purple tour, and I kind of collected all the tapes just in case Richie would ever need somebody, you know, in the future for for that role, and um, so we kind of discovered him that way, so he hadn't really done much uh, prior to Rainbow, but, but a lot of the other guys, I mean, they I mean, just outstanding at their musicianship. And, and here was I, this newcomer into this world, basically just, um, you know, he, Richie kind of swept me away from, from where I was going in, in college, you know, going for um, a communications degree and wanted to be around music. But I thought I'd be working for a radio station or, a, a, you know, a record company in, in that realm. I didn't realize I'd be, you know, helping out writing songs and things. But I always sang around um, the house, uh, you know, sang around the hotel room when I was traveling with Richie, wherever I was, just to myself. Um, and he also knew that I was kind of a closet poet where I would just like write verses and, and inspirations and stories and things. And I always had a journal with me. I was always scribbling away. So he kind of knew that, um, you know, it might be a possibility lyrically to be able to help out if, if ever need be. So what wound up happening was um, I feel like all of um, what Richie and I had experienced together like with anything, it, it was such a very natural evolution or progression of not only our personal relationship, but our creative and, and professional relationship. So when I went on the road with him in 1993 and he knew that I could carry a tune, that's when he asked me to start singing 
background vocals on his Difficult to Cure solo, which was um, Beethoven's Ninth. So he hid me behind amplifiers and, and curtains and things, and the other band members didn't know that I was doing that, but he really wanted that high female vocal. So that was the first time I sang um, on stage, but sort of off stage, you know, with a with a big, huge band like that, which was a giant step. So uh, that was my first time singing really with the band. Then after that, when he left them and he was reforming Rainbow, and they needed um, a lyricist because the the uh, singer who also wrote lyrics was having a hard time coming up with some things that they were happy with. Richie basically confided in me and said, you know, we're I'm I'm going to fly in um, a professional lyricist. Um, if I can't find someone, you know, locally to, to write these lyrics, he said, do you want to give it a try? And I'm like, well, I'll, I'll do the best that I can. And if you guys like it, great. And if nothing, you know, nothing, nothing lost. But, you right. Know, nothing ventured, nothing right. gained, right? Exactly. Right. So one day I was, I was heading up there on the ferry from Port Jeff to Bridgeport. And, uh, we were going, I had to drive up to, um, Massachusetts and Richie had played the backing track to me over the phone. And I had an hour and 15 minutes to just stare out at the water. And I had my notebook with me and my pen with me or a pencil. And, and I came up with 14 verses. And, um, by the time I got to the other side, I handed them my, my notebook and the the producer looked at what I came up with and he circled four of them and said we'll take this one this one this one we'll pair these two together that'll be the chorus and great we've got the new words for the song and and, and that became Black Masquerade you know so um, once they knew that I could do that they they came to me with about three other other songs so I wound up co-writing four songs in total on Stranger and Us All and of course because I was there if they needed a background vocalist I was right there for them, you know, to be able to utilize a female voice, which wound up coming in really handy on songs like Ariel um, and Wolf to the Moon, things like that. So, uh, so that was really the beginning of it. It was very, it was a very natural progression. It didn't, um, it didn't feel awkward or strange. It just felt like, you know, if I could help out, I can. And if not, then you can always go ahead with the, you know, quote unquote professional lyricist and, and go that way. And, uh, and once he realized that, that I, I could bring something to the table and that what my, you know, perspective was valid and I, I you know, could offer up what, what they needed. Um, he would come to me whenever they, they needed, um, you know, a contribution. And what we would do on the side, our side venture was just to be sitting there playing our, our own songs that we would write for ourselves. So, um, wow. so it wound up basically coming full circle. And, and it worked out great. Now, uh, yeah. I know Doogie White, and I've, I've spoken to Doogie. We've done interviews before about Michael Schenker mm-hmm. and other bands he's been in, but I've never heard that 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 part of him being discovered came from you. So, so, so if, if I can just take two minutes on that, sure. so he submitted a, a demo, and what was it about per, his particular vocal style or his particular demo or, or his approach that you went? Hey, this guy's worth because I mean he's an he's an incredible vocalist. I mean you can't deny yeah. that. Um, yeah. What was it about him that you went, hey, this this guy would be perfect to be on this album or to be with Richie or to sing these songs? What what was it about him? Yeah, it was actually when we were on tour with, um, let's see, I think it was Battle Rages On with Deep Purple. And uh, Colin Hart, who was the uh, tour manager at the time, had been given a bunch of tapes, you know, as we were traveling throughout the world. Some of the, the Deep Purple tours are pretty pretty intense. It really got to the point where we were in so many different countries, a different country almost every day. And I would get to, to the customs line and they'd say, where, you know, where did you just come from? And I'd be like, I don't know. And they're like, where are you going? I'm like, I have no idea. And it was, it was 
really, really funny because you go from like Italy to Austria to Germany, then Switzerland. And, and it was <laughs> I'm so confused and so jet lagged and trying to keep up at that point with all the different kind of monies and all the rest of it. It was impossible, but it was an amazing experience. But everything I saw and everything I experienced was out the window of a hotel or out the window of a car out the window. So all my pictures are kind of blurry because they're out the window of a plane, out the window of a car. Didn't really get to experience much. But um, but so Colin Hart would collect all of these tapes that people had handed him. Um, and whether they were keyboard players or drummers or a, a lot of people would come to the stage door and just hand Colin things to be packed on to, um, to Richie. So it got to the point where Colin was like, you know, what do you want me to do with these? And uh, Richie was ready to just leave everything in a hotel room and not pay much attention to it. But I'm me being the hoarder than I that I am, hoping that something is going to be necessary in the future, um, I, I took them all with me. I put them in the bottom of my, my suitcase and, and brought them all home for me, and I put them in a shoebox in the closet. And then um, basically when Richie wound up parting with Deep Purple, <coughs> he, um, he went to the record company and he said, okay, I'd, I'd really like to do something different. And the fact was is that he was contracted to do one more rock album. And as far as the record label was, concerned they didn't care if it was um with purple or with rainbow or anybody else they said it would be a you know an option if you wanted to do one more record with rainbow you, you that would you know help you to fulfill the the contractual obligations so at that point i think really rainbow was was the only other thing that richie had ever known in the past however you know many decades besides deep purple and uh he said you know let's let's reform rainbow and so that's when we started trying to figure out where where to begin? Because at that he had also um, parted ways with his manager of, of over 18 years, and they were the people who would really kind of bring singers on a, on a silver platter and say, here, here's your choice, you know. And uh, so he wasn't really sure where to start, so I said, let's start in the shoebox of, of the CD, you know, of the, the uh, tapes that, that we brought home. And, and Doogie was one of the tapes that was in that in that box. And when Richie heard it, he thought that Doogie really had um, a great voice and, and Doogie's improv improvisational skills are, are brilliant. I mean, the guys used to be able to just go into uh, like a local pub or a restaurant and Richie could say, make up a song about, um, you know, that, that waiter over there bringing food to the, and, and Doogie could right on spot, just make up a blues song or a rock track and just start singing things. And it's amazing how his brain works. And uh, so Richie said, you know, let's, let's try this guy out. We met with him and and he really, really brought it to the table, and uh, and so they were able to do that that one album together, and it sounded amazing. I still think it's yeah. one of my favorite Rainbow albums out there. Yeah, and, and yeah, absolutely, and and the 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 band or the lineup that's on it is just uh, above, you know, just fantastic. Right. Um, to the moon and back, twenty years and beyond. Um, mm-hmm. you, it introduces the vocals of your daughter Autumn Blackmore uh, yeah. on Ghost of John, as a parent. What is that like to, to to have your daughter be on an album, and then of course be on your album? On top of that, it, was it a, a difficult decision to, to to put her out there and say, well, you know, the critics are going to start writing stuff. Some might like it, some might hate. Or was it like, no, this this family, you know, explain, talk to me about that that moment and having her on there because it is it is um, exceptional to have her on Ghost of John. It's huge. And it's, and, and again, we don't do anything unless it feels really natural. Like we don't force anything. We often say, people will sometimes say to us, what direction is, you know, your next album going in? And we say, you know, we don't, we don't pull the music in a direction. The music pulls us to where it wants to go. And we kind of just, it's just our job to sort of channel it. So this was just a very, very natural decision. Autumn actually, she is so musical. When she was one and a half, she actually wrote 
a song. Um, I was doing laundry in the hallway and she was sitting in a rocking chair, rocking her dollies to sleep. And I kind of peeked in and she was singing the song that she had made up by herself um, lyrics at just spur of the moment, again, talking about improv. She's amazing with improvisational skills. Um, she made up the music and the lyrics right on the spot, and, and she was very serious and rocking these little dolls to sleep. And I was so in love with the, the natural innocence and the purity of that moment that I actually videotaped it. And I took the song and brought it to my, our producer. And when I put out my lullaby CD called Starlight Starbright, which was inspired by my kids, we actually used that song. And I, I sang that song, and uh, we, we filmed a video for it. It's called Lullaby in the Night. And many people say it's the best song on, on that CD. And, and it just came from the natural um, mind of a, of a one-and-a-half-year-old singing to her, her dollies, her, her babies. And it's just so beautiful and pure. And so Autumn has always been all about music. I mean, she wakes up in the morning and makes up songs about anything from brushing her teeth to, to what she wants for breakfast to not wanting to go to sleep that night. So, and, and all different tempos, different keys, different, it's, it's amazing. She has a four octave range. Um, music is just in her soul. It's in her blood. It's like part of her. So it's amazing to watch her um, evolve and, and grow with it. It's, it's beautiful. And she was in acting, singing, da- dance class one day. It's a theatrical thing. And she brought home around Halloween, brought home this song, Ghost of John. And she sang it to us, and Richie fell in love with the song right away because it almost sounds like Gregorian chants. And again, that goes back to uh, Richie loving medieval songs, and and even prior to that, you know, songs from the 12th century and prior to that, um, he used to go to sleep just to Gregorian chants at night. So, um, and I think actually speaking of that, what we didn't touch on earlier was I think anybody who who knew Richie from the early days, from 1968 on, would see that in his playing on stage, I mean, he would jam on green sleeves. You know, he, I mean, songs like Temple of the King. They, so you would, you would, if you knew Richie and you knew, like, his music so well that you were a diehard Richie fan, I think you would always see some sort of, um, you know, the inspiration as far as medieval and Renaissance music were concerned, in, even in the early days um, with Deep Purple and, and then, of course, with Rainbow. Um, you know, if you were looking for it, it was, it was always there. It wasn't full-on-out yeah. Renaissance, you know, wearing the outfit and, and doing only Renaissance music, which even, even today we don't do only Renaissance music. We do such a variety of music, but there's definitely that inspiration of it. But so anybody who, who knew Richie's music from day one would have seen the inspiration that, of yeah, it that's from right. going way back. And, um, and Temple of the of, King, by the way. What a, fanta- what a fantastic song. And, and oh, if you, brilliant. And if you haven't yeah. heard the um, Scorpions cover version of it, it, it's not the original, but <laughs> stunning. I mean, just, just anyway. I, re- I haven't even heard that. I didn't know they did that. The Scorpions did a, they did a version about four years ago, three years. Absolutely oh. magical. I, I mean, it's not the original, but in terms uh-huh. of covers, Wow. Anyway. Oh, that's great. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Now, um, just one more thing with Autumn. You also did sure. the uh, 2010 album that you dedicated to her, Autumn Sky. Um, mm-hmm. uh, talk to me about that album just real quick. And, and of course, well, I think and, and what I'm trying to get to is just sort of the importance of family, because it really seems to me, uh, looking at how you and your husband are on albums and on tours and and you dedicate albums to your daughter and she it just seems that family is is the biggest priority in her lives above music business above making a hit above uh, is that about right and 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 just sort of speak to me about family for for a second sure well i think the cool thing about about music and about family especially i mean we have two children autumn who is 7 this year and rory our son who is um 
he's five. Maury's a drummer. He always he loves the drums. But um, and Autumn, of course, is our singer. But <coughs> excuse me. Um, I think the interesting thing about having you know being involved with music and having children is that you kind of don't have to choose one or the other. I mean, we're not in a style of band now where we're looking to make hits. I mean, I think I remember. Bob Dylan, just to paraphrase, at one point he said, you know, if you if you never have a hit, you're never really dated. Like nobody says you're, you know, you're in or you're out or you're trendy or you're not because you've never really had one of those major hits that kind of, you know, dates you to that point. For us, we're so lucky with our music that um, it's really a grassroots, it's almost like a Grateful Dead following. People follow us around the globe. It's amazing. Wherever we tour, we look out and we see fans from um, South Africa, from Australia, from uh, England, from Scotland, and they all take their time off of work, uh, you know, vacation time, and they follow us wherever we go because we don't tour that often. So they go to any country that we're, we're playing at, and they meet up with the other fans from the fan clubs or people that they met from last year, and they sleep on each other's couches, and, and they all hang out together, and it's really like a family reunion. So um, for me to be involved with, with um, a grassroots following like that, as far as the music industry is concerned, is it's perfect for us. The, the word gets spread word of mouth more than, you know, being played on the radio or, or having a video that's very, very popular. When people find your music and they discover it on their own, I, I always feel like those are the independent thinkers. They're, they're the ones who aren't going to be told what to buy, what to listen to, what to wear, what's cool, what's not. If you wind up in that, you know, that sort of trendy thing, you're, you're going to be chasing your tail for the rest of your life. Because by the time you get into one thing, that's out. And the next thing in, you know, is, is the hottest thing. So you've got to keep up with that. And for us, we, we've been doing it 20 years now, and, and our fan following has just grown and grown. And once they discover us on their own, they tell two friends, and they tell two friends. And, and before you know it, we have all these people saying, I've, I've never heard of you. I'm buying the last 20 years of albums because i, I got to keep up on this music, and, and they love it. So um, it's nice to see people not brainwashed to buy a certain thing because they've heard it a thousand times on the radio, but to find you on their own and then just fall in love with you and love you for what you're putting out there. So with our kids, I always find that music is so, (laughs) excuse me, so, um, of course, inspirational, but it's such an important foundation for children to have. When I was growing up, my father listened to big band sounds in the kitchen. Every Sunday, he and my mom would dance around the kitchen listening to Benny Goodman and Artie Shaw. And, and, you know, and that's some of my favorite nostalgia. When I hear those songs now, songs from the 40s you know, I, um, or the 30s, and I listen back to them, I can picture my dad and mom dancing in the kitchen. And, and it brings back such a warm, wonderful, comfortable feeling of, of security of childhood and, and, and nostalgia. It's beautiful. My mom brought me up when she was singing show tunes every time we took a road trip. And uh, um, so to have any kind of music around your children in, you know, in your family, sometimes we play Czechoslovakian folk music, you know, and we dance around the kitchen and sometimes it's rock music. And sometimes we have, there's just such a variety of musical styles out there that my kids are so well-rounded musically. Um, it's just beautiful and, and it's in them, it's in their blood and, and they get involved with us. We have family music time where they have so many different kinds of little instruments in their playroom. They bring out something. We just sit around, you know, in our, our big room here and, and Richie will play the guitar and I'll sing or play recorder and the kids will play whatever they want to do. And, and I just think it's so important to have that, that creative outlet, you know, starting really, really early because it's, it's part of them. Yeah, it really is. And um, just before I get on to Winter Carol, there was, of course, the Richie Blackmore's Rainbow Live in Birmingham 2016, 
which mm-hmm. uh, you sang backing vocals on, and Ronnie Romero uh, handled the vocals. And mm-hmm. Ronnie, by the way, an- another great talent. I don't know who discovered him, if that was you or somebody else, but what it a great... me, actually. Well, I, I <laughs> got to say, you, <laughs> you, you, you have an ear for, for musical talent from Doogie White, because Ronnie, man, he's got... I mean, I had never heard of him before, oh and, I, and I mean, no disrespect yeah. to him. But no, nobody. I mean, he's amazing. He's he he's he's born in Chile. He lives in Spain, and it was a two o'clock in the morning YouTube search where Richie and I were talking about. You know, he was he had been mentioning maybe reforming Rainbow and and the pros and cons of using people that had names or didn't have names or what you know what to do. And he wasn't really sure. It was kind of back and forth. And so I just I honestly I just looked up some uh, some bands that did cover work of of Dio era black. Um, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, um, you know, bands. And I discovered, like, there was, like, three guys that I thought were, I narrowed it down to that I thought were amazing. And I showed all three of them to Richie and, and, um, and Ronnie was definitely the forerunner. I mean, far, far and away the forerunner. So, um, I, I couldn't figure out how I could contact him. And then I, you know, the cool thing is I went on his Facebook page and he was so, like normal. He, it was just like a picture of him and his wife having dinner. And there was no, like no expletives. There was no pretentiousness or, or anything like that. Yeah. No, but you know he, what I mean? There was, yeah, it wasn't like him, like, you know, drinking and like getting crazy and stupid. It was just him like a solid, like normal person, which is awesome. And, um, you know, and very rare in this industry. So, um, when we decided to, to meet with him, to check him out, um, and actually, there was another thing, too. There, there was an a cappella version of him singing in the studio. And Richie was like, wow, that's, that's amazing because it's not masked by any of the music, you know. And um, he just, he, he was amazing. So we met him over in Germany. He flew in and met us at a castle. And Richie brought out the acoustic guitar. And we sat in a back room and, and gave some songs to, you know, have Ronnie sing along, too. And he was pitch perfect. He can turn that rasp on or off, however you know, whenever he wants to. Um, his range—he could handle everything from child and time to any of the Dio stuff, to the Jolin Turner stuff, to the Graham Bonnet stuff, which is that's pretty tricky. You know, all those—I mean, that's four completely different styles of, of singing, and yet he still manages to make it his own. But you know, has has enough grit to it where it's it's just edgy. It's rock. It's and it's amazing. And, and even watching him on stage, he's just solidly confident. And uh, he checked all the boxes. So we said, you know what, let's go ahead with it and see how it goes. And, and he's a really nice guy. We love working with him. He's, uh, you know, this is his priority, even though he does obviously a lot of other bands at this point. And um, it's, it's just great. He's an amazing find. Yeah, so, and, so happy about it. Yeah, and, and as a fan, I'm happy about it, too, because I, I really think he gave, uh, he did justice to the songs. And uh, I'll move on from that in, in a second. But um, you said he's working with you. Is that just sort of like in a touring capacity or other than a live album? Or would you think of doing something else with? Yeah, well, yeah, they, we have actually written a couple of songs, <laughs> excuse me, a couple of songs with Ronnie. Um, I know that Richie had released... Um, I Surrender with him singing on YouTube. So it's like a um, 2017 version of that. Um, So that's out there. But he did actually write another song with him. I think he's planning on writing some more songs with him for um, some studio stuff in the future. There's definitely one out there that's already in the can that hasn't been released yet, but I know it's going to be released. I'm just waiting for that to happen. Um, It's called Waiting for a Sign. And... um, Yeah, so that that should be definitely definitely happening in the future. And and, and, uh, just... When he decided to put the the band back together and do that, were you sort of you know when you weighed the pros and cons, where where were you on that? Were you like, hey, wait a minute, we've got 
uh, our thing, Blackmore's Night and the Renaissance? Or were you like, hey, man, go for it. You need to do this one last time. And, and you know, the fans oh, want great. Yeah. I thought it was great. I mean, even if he didn't have me in any capacity in the band, I wasn't sure if he wanted background singers or if he was going to choose other background singers or whatever he wanted. But I've always been like the biggest supporter of, of Richie. So whatever he decides to do, that's, that's what I'm going to support. You know, that is his decision. And I've been like that since day one. Right. So, um, you know, he's, he's, he's got a lot of situations where he's either surrounded by yes people or people who just put up a wall in front of him before they even hear what the idea is. So um, he and I just have long, you know, long communicative, you know, discussions and decision-making things. And, and it's like, look, what, what is your heart telling you? What do you want to do? And um, he was excited to do it. He hasn't done, you know, these songs in a long time, so it was a bit of a challenge for him. And Richie's a completely improvisational player, so he'd forgotten how to play a lot of these songs and, and the arrangements. And, and he's not big on, like, studying them either. He doesn't want to sit there and listen to how he played 20 years ago because he's right in the now always. So, um, so it's kind of a challenge for him to do the homework on what these songs you know, were and what they sound like. And, and, but he puts his, his new spin on them while retaining the spirit of the original songs. And, uh, yeah. and he goes out there and he has, he has a great time doing it. And he, he's always told me his, his heart is, is with Blackmore's Night and that's his main project. But as far as nostalgia is concerned and doing, you know, these for the fans, because a lot of the fans had wanted to hear, you know, the rock songs from, from way back when he's like, you know, this is sort of his special gift for them. Yeah. And, 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 uh, again, as a fan, I think it was very much appreciated because it, it, it was nice to hear some of those songs done with him on guitar, not just some other guitarist trying. And, and anyway, it was, it was nice. Um, Winter Carols is, yeah. is back out. It came out originally in 2006. You've, you've updated it, added, a, added a, a few tracks to it. Um, just talk to me about making a Christmas album and, you know, revisiting it all these years later and then adding a few extra or three extra tracks to it, I guess. Yeah, well, um, it's it's been great because um, we found that e- well, even with with to the moon and back, what we did was we we pulled the um, the audience, like we pulled the fans as to what they wanted to hear and what their favorite songs were, and songs that that helped them get through emotional times and or meant something important to them in their lives. And those are the the songs that we used on disc one for to the moon and back, and then for disc two for to the moon and back, we revisited some of those old songs and put a new spin on them. We gave brand new songs, you know, out there. And we also have a video track of some crazy backstage antics that always go on on the road, but we, uh, you know, we don't often get to talk about or, or show. So that's just for uh, To the Moon and Back. Is, it's a great fun one for everyone to hear. And uh, whether they're, you know, they've been exposed to Blackmore's Night or not, um, it's a great starting place. Winter Carols is um, basically an album um, that has has been out there since I think it's 2006 but what we did was we revisited and remastered some of the old songs the, the favorite songs of people um, and then we added the three new songs there's there's so many amazing winter songs out there that um, and, and they don't have to be overtly, overtly religious because we always felt like the songs were there prior to the church even getting involved so what we did was we took the um, the songs and we kind of re- we revisited them and we gave them back to the people without putting like overtly religious restrictions on them. So if you're not a believer of a specific path, you can still enjoy them because it was really just to celebrate the season, you know, the evergreens and and wintertime and get people through the cold. So um, through music. So. Um, 
Yeah, and desperately needed in Montreal to get us through the cold. Let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you that, though it's not so bad just yet. But we're getting there. But uh, Candice, absolute pleasure. And uh, you know, Thank I you. actually had a chance to listen to both albums and the Winter Carol stuff. And and I, I know I'm going to sound like a softie because I'm a hard rock metal guy, whatever. But I love Christmas albums. You know, this one uh-huh. and 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 you know, Cheap Trick has one coming out, and Billy Idol did one, and all of those as as hokey as sometimes as people might think they are. They're just fun, and there's, what's wrong with fun in life, right? That's exactly, exactly. Actually, it's like that's, you know, besides, I know we are talking about Halloween before. Halloween's like my all-time favorite time of the year. I mean, I, I just need an excuse to dress up like something crazy. That's all I'm looking for. So, um, but, but Christmas time is obviously, that's, Richie always says that's his very, very favorite time. And we, I mean, he goes crazy, does the whole entire house up, and it's, you know, we we have these these Christmas dinners or Christmas parties, and we just invite everybody that we know, and they bring people, and it just bonds people together. It's just that time to remember that you know it's, it's your fellow person and, and giving kindness. And if you need a season or a time of the year in order to remind yourselves that we should be doing that year round, you know. But um, if you really Agreed. need something, right? But if you need it to to remind you, this is the time of year to do it. It's, it's all about. Um, you know, spreading the kindness out there, bringing your family in, you know, putting any problems aside and just enjoying those moments. And and life is really all about those moments. You know, it's those things that you're going to remember, the things that make memories that you're going to look back on and, and say, wow, do you remember that was an amazing time? And so... That's what we do. We we invite people into our homes and and um, we have this this Christmas dinner, which he calls it. He says it's it's for the homeless. Basically, m- many people that we know that that don't have family, that don't have any place to go at Christmas time. And I I cook a giant dinner for them, and and we just sit around and we tell stories, and then we go and we sit in the fireplace room and we just play acoustic instruments and and we just you know make it a very very special moment for all of us. And we, so we try to do that in music and put that out there for the world too. Yeah, and 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 it's done so well, and and I have to say, especially being in Montreal, where our winters get so excessively long, that that little spot of brightness and fireplace and bright mm-hmm. lights, it just it really makes it's it's almost a survival thing because it, it's just all white and cold, and and that's just that little spot of people coming together. It's it's wonderful, and yeah. and Winter Carol, uh, you know, just it just captures that. It really does. Oh. And, it warms the soul. It should warm the soul. So Absolutely. hopefully that will keep you warm for a little bit longer. <laughs> yes, and, and great chat today. Thank you. Thank you. So good talking to you. You too. And uh, anytime we should do a, a part two, I, I'm more than happy to. Great. That sounds perfect. Okay. Thank you. Stay warm. Yes, thanks now. <laughs> Bye-bye. Download new episodes of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn every Monday at Podcast One and on the Podcast One app. Or you can subscribe at iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. President Trump denies it. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. President Trump denies on Twitter using vulgar language when questioning why the U.S. would accept more immigrants from Haiti and African nations. 17 dead, 43 missing in Southern California after Tuesday's heavy rain and devastating mudslides. Santa Barbara County Sheriff Bill Brown is asking people to evacuate some areas so search and rescue crews can do their jobs. It is seriously impacting the ability of search and rescue, public works, other first responders and repair crews to clear roadways and to engage in search and rescue repair and damage assessment operations. Missouri Governor and former Navy SEAL Eric Greitens is now under investigation after acknowledging an extramarital affair but denying anything more, including accusations that he tried to blackmail the woman into keeping quiet.
I'm Rita Foley.